1954, we awakened something. Those nuclear tests in the Pacific. Not tests. They were trying to kill it. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's retrospective series covering the legendary entertainment MonsterVerse films. The return of an ancient and forgotten super species. Godzilla, the Mutos, Kong. Hosted by Jacob. Good thing he's on our side. Stuart. He's not part of the natural order. And Arnie. It's a good group of boys. We're all going to die together out here. <laughs> this podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. That podcast is filling your head with garbage. Listener discretion is advised. You have everything you need. Good. Let's get started. Today, we're discussing Godzilla versus Kong, starring Godzilla and Kong, directed by Adam Wingard. Hello, loyal listeners. This is Arnie. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast, episode 1082. This may be the last podcast I ever record. I know I said that last week, but DC fanatics have a price on my head after Snyder's Justice League and <laughs> Batman Begins. I don't doubt it. This is Stuart. And this is Jacob, and you know, I, I occasionally drink tap water, like when I'm brushing my teeth. Does that mean I've taken enough fluoride to be controlled by the government? I don't know. Maybe there's a podcast out there I could listen to, to tell me. Nazi! This is my idea of like what other podcasts are like. I never get a chance to listen to them, but just finger pointing and accusing that if people are drinking tap water, it's somehow controversial and demeaning to them. Which is why we review movies. <laughs> what am I doing with this Arrowhead bottled water then to review? And how can we make the buildings here with 9-11 corollary? <laughs> but yes, we are at the movie that we had been waiting for since at least Skull Island, The Two Titans. I mean, last movie, I'll be honest, I was surprised that last movie had so many name above the title monsters like Mothra and Gadira and all of that here. Godzilla and Kong. They're the two that matter. Come on. Well, I mean, we'll see it in the credits here. The spreadsheet is such that they're telling us this is, I don't know, is this the end? This is like the March Madness into the final four. And now we're down to the most important monster battle of all time. That is how I'm taking it anyway. No, no. Did you hear Bernie? He, he mentioned something in Area 51 towards the end of this. They got something else up their sleeve. I think it all depends on box office because... I've read many places this is presumably the last film. Let's point out this is the first of the Godzilla Kong movies from Legendary to not have an end stinger scene after the credits. I noticed that. So it feels like closing a book. But, you know, if it did really well, and I'll say I saw this on HBO Max. We're recording on Thursday and my theaters in town are only open Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But this showing is almost sold out every show Friday and Saturday in IMAX. Yeah, but capacity in theaters are like 2%. Like, that means three people win. <laughs> no, we're sitting at, uh, I think, 50%. So, I mean, if I went, I'd be sitting closer to people than I would feel comfortable sitting right now. Well, I hope that's a good sign for the box office. But what it means for the MonsterVerse, yeah, I'm getting the sense that Warner Brothers is done anyway. Kong, Godzilla, they're legends. They'll survive this. They'll go on to make musicals and animated things that are awful and work in every <laughs> kind of medium. Some virtual reality thing, I'm sure, is going to be next. But will there be any more of this MonsterVerse universe? It's been trouble to get here. I will say that this production 
seem to have gone over some reconstruction after the movie we discussed last week was not an epic box office. And in general, I just get the sense that they had high hopes that they had the Avengers. You know what I mean? Like, what's a property that generations of people have loved since childhood? Marvel. What's another one? Godzilla. King Kong. Let's see if we can duplicate that success. They did better than Solo. Well, yeah. Star Wars is a, is another one that is not meeting the moment. And so I feel like I've given three recommends. This has been a good series all over, but I have been thinking the whole time could be better. And I don't feel like anybody has any genuine love that any of these movies are comparable to classic films from childhood. I mean, again, that, that film last week that we reviewed, that was all the monsters fighting. And even Stuart, who gave it a green arrow, it was like begrudgingly. It was like, well, I liked it more than that first one that in 2014. So I gave that a green arrow. I guess I'll give this one a participation trophy, too. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely feels like if I wasn't already an easy lay for this stuff, if I wasn't already a Godzilla fan... I don't think I would have much attachment for this. And I think about a young generation that's being asked to, you know, experience these characters for the first time. I definitely don't think they're going to fall in love with this Godzilla. I'll leave it at that. My thinking is I'm actually surprised that we got here because none of these movies have tanked, but also none of these movies have set the box office aflame, you know? It's so... The biggest grocer of the series is the first Godzilla in 2014 at 200 million. That's what Star Wars and Avengers make in an opening weekend. Yeah, that's Ant-Man money. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, maybe the audience is harder to grow here in America. This is always going to be a franchise that has more appeal, at least when we're talking about Godzilla in Asia. Yeah, but when you're spending 200 million on King of the Monsters and make 380 globally, this isn't a franchise you double down on. I'm just, it's been a slog to get here. It's been seven years, and it was supposed to be six, but it's been seven years since that first Godzilla film. And at some point, I'm surprised that they didn't just cut bait. You know, at Universal, Universal did. They took it to Warner Brothers. I'm surprised Warner Brothers didn't just like, you know, I know we were going to make this kind of like, Warner Brothers now. You know, we were going to make Zack Snyder's Justice League Part 2 and 3, and then we saw what Batman versus Superman did. They just announced they're not doing the new gods. They did try to sell Legendary Pictures, which is actually the production company that's spearheading this. So, like, they kind of almost did. Like, it was right there on the line. And I do feel like you can see in this movie, there has been a change of direction. When you look at who was originally credited with writing this script, it's the people that have worked on the previous films. But now all of a sudden they've got this Eric Pearson guy who has Marvel cred. He created the Agent Carter show. He wrote Thor Ragnarok. He'll be behind the new Black Widow. I see them, yeah, maybe in a Justice League 2017 kind of way saying, halt the presses. Whatever you guys were working out with your dense mythology about kings of monsters we're now going to make a fun monster movie and be done. Look, I, I did some research on this. I read the Wikipedia article. And, and all I can say <laughs> is that, yes, I do have theories with this final cut, like what happened. But this director, Adam Wingard, he was brought in before even King of the Monsters was a mediocre success or whatever you want to call that. Like, so he was involved with this universe before they even knew they needed a course correction. 
Right. And Adam Wingard is neither a asset or a detriment in my mind. He is a young director who has worked a lot with low budgets to make genre exploitation pictures. He's kind of like Sam Raimi before Spider-Man. I mean, we have talked about him, the Blair Witch. He, he did that, what, sequel, prequel, remake, whatever you want to call that. But yeah. And I like your next. Yeah, your next and the guest I really enjoy. I'll even back Death Note. But let's face it, if you're looking for a spiritual metaphor for nuclear destruction in the modern age and Japanese history... I don't think Wingard's who you go for. If you're looking for monsters to punch each other, Wingard's your choice. Yeah, he has fun in genre films. Again, You're Next and The Guest, they're fun genre films that you can tell he's watched a lot of in those style, and he likes playing with those conventions and cliches. I definitely feel like he is capable, but he is certainly working with a budget that he's never had before, which leads me to believe that he is going to be a, a director only so far, that there is a larger studio interference that's going on trying to ensure a quality control, kind of like, you know, a Kevin Feige, if you were, trying to make this film series cohere. So I take it we all watched it on HBO Max. I want to, again, give a shout out to Warner Brothers for allowing me to watch movies and the comfort, both, you know, mental comfort of knowing I'm not going to catch something from somebody around me, as well as the physical comfort of my own home all year. I am going to, you know, I, again, I almost want to recommend every HBO Max movie for that reason alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have, if I wanted to go to theaters, I haven't got my second vaccination yet, so I, I'm still not going out. But if I wanted to, I'd have to go the day that we're recording this, because theaters just opened in LA, I think to 10% capacity. But I've read stories how, like, people were in line and ready to go and wanted to pack them, except they couldn't because it was 10% capacity. But, like, there were lines for people at theaters. So maybe this will actually spur some kind of renaissance. We don't know. It's the biggest film opening of the year. Yes, I've seen those numbers, whatever that means. That plus HBO subscriptions numbers. Maybe this will be deemed some kind of success. But I, yes, I look at all of these things that are coming out. The Toms and Jerry's, the Snyder Cuts, <laughs> the Godzilla versus Kong, and feel like, oh, someone's about to be fired at Warner Brothers, and they're, like, dumping the trash. So I came into this very cynical. I'll just put it that way. I want it to be good, but I, you know, after the Godzilla movies we've gotten, and keep in mind, I'm a Godzilla guy, much more than Kong, I was nervous. And I was nervous because I, look, that, that last King of the Monsters wasn't great, the, the original 2014 Godzilla, not great. You know, Skull Island, I enjoyed a lot. But yeah, coming to this, look, Stuart, I, I know a lot of times you don't look at the promotional stuff. I saw a trailer for this and I'm like, oh, no matter how mediocre those other ones were, I'm down for this one. Like bright neon, looks like they're doing Pacific Rim with King Kong Godzilla. Like I was sold with the trailer. Like that got me excited because it was a cleaner image than what he had seen. It was brighter it, and it just it looked more like a cartoon. I was ready for it. Didn't watch the trailer. So you yes, didn't know anything going into this movie. Keep in mind last week. I said, I don't think there's any other monsters in this. Surprise. Yeah, this, this, did this leak out? I know there were people started guessing this. It wasn't a leak. It was in the official trailer in the background. So if they were trying to keep it a secret, it was at the very least an Easter egg in the first trailer for this movie that you could see behind somebody talking. You saw Mecha Godzilla on a computer screen, like some specs or something. So 
everybody knew Mechagodzilla was in this. The question was, would anybody else be in this? Where's Godzilla's posse that he had at the end of the last film? My understanding is that the woman that was playing the Mothra twins, ZZ Dang, did film something that was just left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, I saw her mentioned in the Wikipedia article. I'm like, wait, she wasn't in here? That must be a deleted scene. It speaks to major rewrites. There's an actor I really like from The Wire that's in this all of, I counted, four seconds. I'm like, Lance Reddick is, you know, he's not like a major star. You can cut him from for your film, I suppose, but you wouldn't hire him to be an extra. Apparently with him, there was a big boardroom scene filmed where he was setting up their mission and they decided they didn't need that scene, so they cut it. But there was stuff he filmed. Yeah, and all the other people. Again, if you were building a monster verse, you might think that Quicksilver would come back, or some way they'll, they would find a way to have characters continue on from the other movies. But this, other than Millie Bobby Brown, I feel like it's just starting anew. I feel bad for Kyle Chandler. He was like the star of the last film. And I see he's back, and I'm like, wow, character continuity, okay. He's barely in this, too. Yeah, he, he's there to check his text. Right. Not wanted is the message I got. We don't want Kramer versus Kramer. We don't want dour and dark. I think you're right, Jacob. The, the, the message was, do whatever you can to make this fun and cartoony. Let's go out in style. If this is the last one we make, let's make it the one that's the most fun. Let's find out if they did that. Arnie, give them the plot. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> the plot? I, yeah. <laughs> Lizard and monkey punch. Yes, that's fun. But here, here's the plot. It's the not fun part of the movie. Mm. It's been three years since anyone's seen one of the Titans other than Kong. Kong's under constant surveillance in a virtual reality cage on Skull Island. All the natives on Skull Island were killed in a storm, except for one deaf little girl named Gia and Kong cared for Gia until Monarch's lead Kong scientist arrived. That sci- would you call her a Kongologist? Uh, they actually say that she's an anthropological linguist, which means she goes around talking to animals like Doolittle. <laughs> this is better than Doolittle, I'll say that. <laughs> I'll say this movie should just be called Kong Go. <laughs> but that scientist is Dr. Eileen Andrews, played by Rebecca Hall. Dr. Andrews adopted Gia and taught her to sign. And without knowing, and Eileen didn't know, Gia also taught Kong how to sign. Kong's been kept hidden on Skull Island not just for study, but to hide him from Godzilla. We saw last movie, Godzilla will hunt down any apex predator worldwide. Were Kong to leave his bubble, Godzilla would come looking to assert his dominance and probably kill Kong. Dr. Andrews is convinced to let Kong leave by Dr. Nathan Lind, played by Alexander Skarsgård. Who's not the villain? I know. Shocked. This is this is such a paycheck for him, right? He's like, I do not care. Does anyone? I've seen Alexander Skarsgård act a lot, and here he's reading some lines. He was better as flag, and that's saying something. Linda's been hired by the Apex Corporation to discover a massive source of clean energy, and Linda knows that the planet is hollow, with tunnels that connect one side of the planet to the other. See, this is why we gotta get a sequel to this one, because that's where we prove the Earth is flat. <laughs> no, the Earth isn't flat. We have that very clear in this one. It's just hollow. That's what NASA wants you to think. In these labyrinthine tunnels is the power source, but it takes a Titan to lead the expedition to find it. 
So they decide to take Kong to Antarctica, and along the way, Godzilla attacks and nearly drowns Kong. Human weapons save Kong, but barely. They finally get Kong to Antarctica, and he goes through the portal and leads the apex scientists to the home of the Kongs. And King Kong finds his ancestor's power axe with a blade made from a Godzilla fin, and there's even a throne for King Kong to sit on. Apex scientists somehow wirelessly send the energy to Hong Kong, but Apex isn't what it seems. In parallel, we followed podcaster Bernie Hayes, played by Brian Tyree Henry, as well as Madison Russell. Remember her from the last movie? Played by Millie Bobby Brown? Yeah, 11, more like, what, 17 now? And Millie's friend Josh, played by Julian Dennison. The Scooby Gang has infiltrated Apex's underground lab and found a bullet train to the Apex lab in Hong Kong. There, the trio learn Apex CEO Walter Simmons, played by Damian Bashir, has built a giant mecha Godzilla. The Apex chief technical officer is Ren Sirizawa, son of Monarch founder Ishiro Sirizawa. And Ren has figured out how to control Mechagodzilla telepathically by sitting in the decapitated head of Monster Zero, who they're retconning to say he was telepathic. And wiring something that looks like Cerebro into this dead head can make you control machines or something. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Like I said, plot is not what we want to talk about here, but <laughs> Godzilla goes to Hong Kong, drawn there to destroy Mechagodzilla, but he uses his atomic breath to tunnel to the center of the Earth where Kong is. Kong goes up to Hong Kong and fights Godzilla, and while he had his axe, he had a chance, but Godzilla wins and is about to kill the big ape when Mechagodzilla shows up. When Mechagodzilla was powered on... The spirit of Monster Zero took over, killing Ren in the Cerebro chair. Mechagodzilla also killed Apex CEO Simmons. Now Monster Zero in Mechagodzilla has come for revenge against Godzilla. And Mechagodzilla seems ready to kill Godzilla, but Gia convinces Kong to help Godzilla. So together, Kong and Godzilla fight Mechagodzilla. Don't say Godzilla again. I know, it's like, damn, how many times am I saying Gojira. It's like Chinese water torture. If he drips on me one more time, I'm going to break. But the fight is won by nerdy Josh. Back at Apex, he pours some liquor on Apex's computer, causing Mechagodzilla to malfunction. That's also how they got this script out. <laughs> and Kong and Godzilla have no trouble tearing apart an already broken machine. After this battle, Godzilla and Kong have found mutual respect. Godzilla returns to the water, and Kong returns to his home in the middle of the Earth as credits roll. So are we going to talk about the plot, or can we just jump to monsters punching each other? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know what, unfortunately, we are built to tear down and deconstruct what gets erected by writers and storytellers. And that, again, we will be doing what these titans are doing and just bashing this thing just shit. If we spend too much time on realism and plot points. I do want to say, last week, I called for laser guns. Frickin' lasers in that movie. We're gonna get, like, Tron hover cycle mobiles in this, and all sci-fi, so that's not a complaint for me. Like, I will give it this stupid plot, because this is exactly what I asked for last week. Okay. Well, let's start with Kong, because I'm gonna argue, as a Godzilla fan particularly, this is irksome, even though they're putting Godzilla first in the title, that's only because King Kong vs. Godzilla is the old movie, the, the one that was made in Japan. 
They had to change the titles, I guess, for trademark reasons. Probably not even trademark, because they made a film called Godzilla, probably just to, you know, if Kong got top billing last time, let's give Godzilla top billing this time. Yeah, but this is not a Godzilla movie. There's in no way, like, barely in the film, and never gets a human moment. Like, who would like this grumpy lizard? Nobody, including me, the Godzilla fan. This is a Kong movie in which he is Rocky or some underdog fighter that nobody thinks can win the match. And we find out he's been put on ice. If he were to be let out, it would start Godzilla hunting him down, and Kong would lose. Isn't that the better way to do a versus movie, though? I mean, Freddy versus Jason was really a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that Jason walked into, and it's probably the best of the versus genre. So to make this a King Kong movie that Godzilla is also in seems like that's probably the way to go, especially if you're making this for an American film company. We'd said it when we reviewed the first King Kong versus Godzilla King Kong is the American hero. Godzilla is the Japanese hero. Yeah. And Skull Island has been the best one by far. Easily. So, yeah, I like this Kong. And I like him here when we're reintroduced and he's bathing in a shower and, you know, listening to doo-wop and scratching his ass. Yeah. All of this is very charming. I remember why I like this guy. And, and this is where we meet one of our human characters, Gia, this... I don't think we're supposed to know she's deaf at this point, but I'm like, oh, she's going to do like the Coco thing and do the sign language. But she doesn't do it here. But, you know, you get a little introduction. She's, you know, made this little doll of Kong. And but what really got me, you know, while Kong was walking over to where he grabs this tree and, you know, strips it of its branches, makes a spear. And when he chucks that thing and you find out you're in a, like a dome, they put a whole, you know, force field around this island. Like I'm like, oh, again, this is what I wanted. Give me that crazy science fiction stuff. Yeah, it's like the Truman Show for King Kong, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and help me out. Like, when we cut outside the dome, we see that this island is actually in darkness and storms and rain constantly because it has bad weather. I thought it always did have bad weather. I thought it had bad weather back in Nam, but that was just used to keep people out. And when you got inside that storm. Yeah. So what has happened to the climate. Is this another global warming? Really? You, you, you want to talk about the climate of this film? <laughs> I, I wanted to know if there was a reason why Skull Island has a storm that killed this little girl's parents. I don't think there's a reason. I think that that's casual genocide by the writers. They just needed a cute child that was part of the Iwi tribe that we met on Skull Island. We don't want any adults. We want something to grab our heartstrings. I mean, she could have been an orphaned kid that just hung out with the scientist. It is crazy that they just felt the need to wipe out the entire tribe. Yeah, you're right. It's a plot convenience that came about at some point to just give us an orphan girl Kind of a Mighty Joe Young thing. Like, you know, there's just nothing more charming than when a little girl and an ape get together. Well, and you know what it is. Adam Wingard was saying, again, 2017, before King of the Monsters, he's working on this and, and having these writers meetings. And they outline like in-depth characters and arcs for every human being in this film. And I, so I, I guess this girl, she's an orphan. Does She doesn't have a people like King Kong because that's going to be their thing. Kong doesn't have his people. And that's what's going to motivate him. This is the very, I guess, years in a writing room. You come up with these deep connections. <laughs> she does have Dr. Eileen Andrews, who is this ape linguist or, or what? I, I, she works for Monarch. Who knows exactly what her job title is? She's probably bilking them for hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. They don't need to pay. But they're a stupid company. So why not? 
Rebecca Hall. I think I know her best from Iron Man 3. Who was she in that? <laughs> she was the scientist. Nefarious. Slept with Tony at the beginning and then came back five years later and was working for Alistair. Oh, okay. Yes. I uh, Yeah. She's good. I've seen her in many things that aren't Marvel, Arnie. I, I, Frost Nixon. She was in a Woody Allen movie, got a lot of acclaim. And she most recently played the reporter Christine. I can't. The movie's called Christine. Has nothing to do with a killer car about a woman who, a journalist who killed herself on camera and explored that. In all things, dramatically speaking, like everyone that gets cast in this monster verse, I'm like, wow, you can do so much more than you're being asked to do here. I guess it's nice that you got a suntan and a big paycheck. Like, this is not very hard work for you and beneath your talent. But she's at least appealing as generic scientist who is going to adopt this girl and realize that the habitat they have for their big monkey. But then we cut to, honestly, this movie is so dumb, but I'll just start right now with the Transformers comparisons. I think they're apt. I mean, Jacob mentioned that last week, and I haven't been able to get it out of my head now. Of like, yes, they're not chasing Avengers. They're they're trying to stay ahead of the floodline of Transformers. <laughs> Please don't let us be the last night. In the Transformers movies, we always have some ridiculous characters doing stuff. And here, our ridiculous character is a podcaster played by Brian Tyree Henry. I did think, yeah, there, I've seen those Transformer movies. There's some gentleman that's way into conspiracies in that right like so yeah i got some bayformers vibes from bernie particularly since this stuff is not sharp and clever like i feel like this whole shtick he gives about trying to infiltrate this company and and sending some desk guy away with threats of homemade hand sanitizer and genetically modified apples like it just, it does feel like baziness. You're yeah. right. It doesn't make sense. I will say, okay, we know there, there was no pickup shoots for this, right? Like they had this ready to go March 2020. Oh, there was. You think, okay, because this whole thing with Bernie with the bleach and now he bays in it to like get rid of the government trackers. I'm like, oh, that's just a coincidence about bleach and getting rid of the COVID. You think that's, that's all added in when this got delayed? Yes. I believe our former president supplied that punchline. I don't think so because these people never got together after COVID. Are we sure? I'm 99% sure based upon everything I've read about, you know, they were ready to release a few weeks after COVID launched and all the COVID protocols and the extra spending to film during COVID times and everything. Yeah, they didn't do that. But this scene doesn't feel like it has anything to do with anything. He's breaking in here to get information and feels like he's blown the lid off because they mailed something to Hong Kong. Like, what does that have to do with anything? It was a huge shipment that they weren't equipped for. That doesn't feel like the thing that they were doing. What we're to find out is that this company that he's worked at for the last five years, Apex Cybernetics. Did he work there just for his podcast? It seems that way. I think so. And because he's been troubled by Titans. I mean, I believe this man has been unhinged by Titan battles and probably that was what killed his wife. You know, we'll find out later. He's a grieving widower. So, you know, filling in a lot of blanks here, really undeveloped character. He's gone crazy because Titan battles have taken his true love. And so all he could do was pour his energy and finding out what's going on. I don't believe that what he's investigating and what he comes up with is very strong or linear or connected to the rest of this story. Stuart, let me introduce you to QAnon. Let, let's see what you think of all their theories. He's a conspiracy 
theorist. Like, th- this is who they are. No, no, he is a hero. His conspiracies are accurate, and that w- this is truth that he's uncovered. Yeah, but the, the fact that he takes something like a, a shipping manifest and create a whole conspiracy out of there, I mean, when we first see him, I don't know if, like, we're supposed to believe him. Like, he does come off as a crazy guy, and Again, is he there for hijinks or is he there to motivate the plot? I don't know, because if this was Bayformers, it would just be hijinks. I think he's just there for hijinks. Hijinks and exposition, because this man does no investigating. He is going to team up with two kids in this movie and literally walk down hallways and find stuff out that we need to know. Yeah, kids who who take him on the journey. Actually, to this minute, I don't exactly know what he's uncovered here. We're to understand that this company has already started moving things back and forth through the hollow earth because they have those flying Tron ships. Yeah. They got Elon Musk to build his hyper tunnels to Hong Kong before he finished the one out here in California. And what they moved was probably skull crawler eggs. I thought it was the head of Monster Zero. Okay. You're right. Because that's it was in Hong Kong, I think, or somewhere in Asia. As the stinger of last week. Okay. So they move the head here, but he's more obsessed with like this orb or something like this glowing, like what was probably part of Mecha Godzilla. Like it's really not clear what he's doing. I thought Apex was like trying to provoke attacks because we see here at the beginning, Godzilla comes and attacks this Apex cybernetics facility in Florida. And I'm like, oh, this is what was that? The Orca device. Maybe it's like one of those. I thought it was a beacon later on. They're going to say it's like Monster Zero's eye or something. I don't know. Yeah. And did they move the Gator ahead to Florida or did they move it away from Florida? Because it'll survive the oncoming Godzilla attack. I don't get it. What we'll find out, and this is barely said, is they powered on Mecha Godzilla. In Florida. And Godzilla sensed that. And even though it only stayed on for a couple minutes, it called Godzilla for a fight because Godzilla's like, oh no, I ain't having that bitch. Because it's what? Monster Zero's psychic waves going out. But how it survives this whole company being crushed under Godzilla's foot, who knows? Well, they they have at least a sub-level 33. I think they knew to go way underground. Okay, all right. And they and they powered it off, and so Godzilla didn't know to tunnel into the ground there yet. But man, yes, that company, you said Tron, Stuart, everything at this company is Tron-colored. When they find that elevator with neon lights, I'm like, wow, this is lazy. I think they even used Daft Punk, like, later on in the film. <laughs> it sounds so much like Tron. Yes, the robot. We finally found out who Daft Punk really is, and it's Junkie XL. So, look, all I need to happen here is an awesome attack, and it's okay-ish. I feel like it's abbreviated. All I can say is Godzilla is my man. He comes back, and I can tell he's been cast as the villain. I can tell from this attack, even though, yes, he's been framed. Like, obviously, this company makes him look bad, but this movie is not going to give him what they're giving Kong. He will be considered... In the shadows, a threat, something to root against until the two are going to inevitably team up against Mecha Godzilla at the end. I think they make him a little bit scarier. I didn't compare this with the CGI model from last week, but it felt like the arms are a little bit longer, bulkier, like he uses them more. That He just feels like more of a threat here. I was shocked they actually use CNN bumpers and CNN announcers here. That was a big thing in the 90s, and networks got in trouble for it. But in the CNN footage, they're like, Godzilla seemed to be our protector, but now he's attacking Florida. 
But I don't think Apex knew that firing on Mechagodzilla would cause this damage. I don't think they're intentionally framing Godzilla. No, no, I think they definitely are. They want to come out as the saviors of humanity. We'll wipe out all the Titans. They'll never be a problem again. They want Godzilla to look bad because up until this point, it looks like maybe the majority of people are on Godzilla's side. They see him as a benevolent force. Yeah, I think you can tell that when you meet the CEO. Like, the way that Damian Bashir is going to play this, he gets a whole infomercial, you know, to pretend he's humanitarian. But you can tell with that, like, glint in his eye that he's really up to all bad all the time. Like, they show pictures of kids laughing and smiling in the infomercial. And, of course, they've got facial recognition software to track who they are. They're putting microchips in our head. They're having robots genetically modify our food. Like. This is not a good company. We know that. We sense that from his performance. So if Godzilla attacked this lab, they deserved it. I mean, that's certainly the way that Millie Bobby Brown is going to see it. I think that's what we're all supposed to conclude. Godzilla wouldn't just cause destruction because he's bad. He has a reason. And in this movie, Millie Bobby Brown's character of Madison has a friend, Josh, who do you guys remember Fire Fist from Deadpool 2? Oh, yeah. He's a Kiwi actor. Yes. He did a movie with Taika, Hunt of the Wilder People, Ricky Baker. Yeah. Yeah. He was sort of, I, I look at him as a child star that's starting to enter his good son phase of like, ooh, you're hitting puberty. You're looking a little older. It may be harder to pull the cuteness that you had going on before. But he is a welcome presence and a good friend to have. For this very sour Millie Bobby Brown. Like, more sour than she was last week. She's just an angsty teen now, I guess. What is her goal here? Her mother is dead. Her father is as good as dead because he's never on screen. And she's listening to this podcast. By the way, listeners, if any of you show up at my door, I'm calling the cops. (laughs) (laughs) We love you from afar. Thank you. I've been tracking bleach cells around your part of the woods, too, just to track you down. (laughs) Yeah, if somebody goes to a store and is like, do you know a guy who buys a lot of Star Wars toys? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'll give you his address. No, but they do this to poor Bernie Hayes and show up on his doorstep. But Madison knows more than he does, actually. We need a Team Godzilla. It's pretty clear that they're assembling very similar-looking children and adult pairings to rally around Godzilla, King Kong, and Mechagodzilla. And talking about Team Godzilla, going back to Josh for a second, like, he picks up Madison, and I don't know, is that the Scooby-Mobile? Like, he's got all these antennas coming off of that. I'm like, oh, he's a conspiracy guy, too, but he's the one that, like, doesn't want anything to do with this. I I don't know why, like, like. I like this actor fine, but I don't know why Josh is in this film. Uh, It's mentioned that he took this truck from his brother. They're playing the Judas Priest song, Breaking the Law. So he's he's stolen it. It's a Stormwatch truck. So it like chases twisters. But why did the writers feel the need to put him here? I'm not asking, you know, what brought him to Madison's house. Why is he here? Yeah, what he does at the end of this film, Bernie or Madison could have done. I will again remind you that the man that came in to tweak this script, Eric Pearson, wrote Thor Ragnarok. Like, this is... Doing Taika a favor. Yeah, yeah. Like, he took one of Taika's actors and said, we can make this more fun. I promise you, people will laugh when they see Josh. Because it's ridiculous. Who, Who is this movie for? I guess for anybody. Anybody who wants to see Monsters Punch, you do not have to have any level of intellectual savvy. 
It feels like, you know, like in today's culture, parents and kids are more friends. They do things together. They're like game shows where they, they compete together. This feels like we want a family Titan movie where like there's a team Godzilla, a team King Kong, and a team Mecha Godzilla, and they're going to be playing that game show as these big monsters fight each other. This is the film about conflict that we need in this day of conflict. Like, <laughs> I I dare anyone to read a red state, blue state into this fight. Like, anything about Trump, like, none of it's there. It's just a fight with monsters. Corporations are evil, Jacob. Yeah, we, all, we could all agree on that. Yeah. I just think that, like, this is who we've got to be the cheerleaders for my guy. And normally, I would be joining them. But not in this universe. I can honestly say... With Godzilla being the way that this is, and these being his champions, I find this to be the least interesting part of this movie. I never care when Millie Bobby Brown is on screen. 100% agree. Like, again, these characters, I guess they do something at the end to help Kong out. Something else could have easily have happened. They're ultimately pretty useless. All the humans in this movie are useless, but these are the ones that do feel the most basic. Yeah, I feel like you could cut Team Godzilla out, but Team Kong is its building. Like, they're the ones pushing the plot along. Like, we're going to meet another new character, this Dr. Lind, who, what, was a Hollow Earther, still is? Like, no one bought his book. But this movie, guys, is all about Hollow Earth. Like, the craziest conspiracy, besides maybe the Flat Earth. I have my own conspiracy, because I thought maybe they were actually going to have some continuity here. And when he's approached by Damien Bashir to go find this energy source they go i'm very sorry about your brother i'm like oh my god is brian cranston alexander skarsgård's brother or are they gonna tie this up no yeah i was trying to think who's his brother is it someone from skull island that like died in the 70s or is it brian yeah i i did that too arnie i did the same thing for bernie when he was talking about his dead wife and keeping a flask in a gun holster i was like who have we seen that would fit that description who is sarah they even give her a name but Yes, I think that they were supposed to do that. And then when these rewrites came in, they're like, cut it all. We're not building a universe. Here's the crazy thing. There is a character in this film that we meet. Simmons comes along to make this offer, and he has Sirizawa with him. Ken Watanabe's character had that last name, but he's dead. And I'm like, okay, this is a younger guy. This has got to be the son who hates Godzilla because he blames that for his dad's death. We're going to get this whole speech about it. Nope. I made up a backstory that could be the backstory. I don't know. It's not in this movie. Well, and I'm going to reiterate. I think it was in this movie. And then I think it was thrown away from this movie because death and family grudges and mourning and all of that are not fun. And we're not doing anything that's not fun. So cut all of the grieving out. And so would it be better? Would it be better is the question if we knew that when Lind was holding this like little figurine that I thought was a spaceman. And then like later, we're going to see that his brother was dressed up like this. Like, would we want to focus on that pathos? I don't think so. I think they're right. I think the studio executives are exactly right to say, who cares what their backstories are moving along? I have a better business model than anything Apex has from this, though. I think I'm going to start placing Facebook ads that I will make action figures of your deceased loved ones. <laughs> By the way, I was very confused. Again, I know continuity is not their strong suit, but the credits identified the Hollow Earth Expedition as 1926. That's not the one that killed his brother, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how old that brother was supposed to be, but uh, the, yes, again, rewrites, changing things. It was probably supposed to be his grandfather at one point. 
and they just, in the mishmash of trying to assemble this movie, I believe that they just didn't care enough to sand down these edges. It's just seams are showing. Those opening credits often shape like, here's what this film's going to be about. We're finding this, we're finding that. Here, it's all about Hollow Earth, and they... I couldn't believe how much they were going to double down on this concept. And we're actually going to go like we go there. I mean, the monsters have to come from somewhere. So if you're telling me that there are giant titans coming, you know, 50 of them all over the earth, the fact that they come from a magical realm inside the core that we've never discovered through our science. Okay, I mean, that's some horse shit, but like... <laughs> and, and, what, and what, there's like a nuclear reactor there that takes like the whatever sun rays get there and turns it into this powerful energy that they got to harvest somehow. I'm more just like the mechanics of this. When we see Sirizawa and Simmons descend on Alexander Skarsgård, they want him to help them harness a blue energy that is powering Godzilla. That Godzilla, like when his scales turn blue, he's actually like plugging in like an Ethernet cable (laughs) into the mainframe. Like, what are they saying about Hollow Earth's power? I didn't take it like it was powering Godzilla so much as, you know, Titans were born of this energy. And so this is like the lost world down there uh, where Titans were birthed. I was hoping for some slee stacks. Mm. That's that's what I got from it. But the, the dialogue is jibber jabber. Oh, yeah. That, like I was writing so many notes down as I look over it. I'm like, OK, none of this stuff makes sense. It's just, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll say some science sounding stuff. We got to get blue energy out of Hollow Earth. OK, so I'll, I'll go with Arnie's thing. I think that works good enough. I, I'm not trying to dig too hard. Just OK, so Titans are made of this blue energy and therefore they have a genetic memory of where it comes from. And one of them can lead you to where you want to go. Although they already know the doorway and they have the ship to do it and they've been moving things back and forth through the Hollow Earth from Hong Kong to Pensacola. I don't think that was Hollow Earth. That was just another tunnel that they made or maybe they're using some of the tunnels. I don't know. They have a whole explanation. Gravity is going to reverse. You need these Tron hovercrafts to get through it to deal Heaves. Yes, H-E-A-V-E, heaves. I had the same question. I'm watching this and my friend's over and we're both like, they could have just gone in on their own. But what I think was not well conveyed is that it is a maze down there. However, I don't still know why they needed Alexander Skarsgård for this. I don't know why they needed to go to Antarctica. I thought there were holes that those skull crushers were crawling through in Skull Island, like coming from Hollow Earth. That's when we first heard about this whole theory with this universe. Like, But no, we got to go somewhere else. Yeah, with this character's. Skarsgård's character, who I think is a villain, like I'm waiting for him to turn, but I guess he he didn't know who Simmons was. He didn't check his references and didn't know he was hired by a bad guy. Yeah, I definitely believe that serious rewriting has taken something that was probably intricate and complicated and deeply connected to previous characters we saw in these other movies. And someone said, I don't see them making the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie to follow up Tom Cruise's mummy. Like, we're not doing that kind of story arcs anymore for for B-movie franchises. We are not going to do Universal Monsters with the Godzilla characters. Let's just make this a standalone, silly thing where we never have to have seen any of the previous movies to get the idea that we need Kong to go to the center of the Earth. It's called dumbing down, and I don't think that that's a bad instinct. If I were a studio executive and saw what they had built, I would be telling them to smash it and make it simple and fun. 
look, as we get out here on the Tasman Sea and we're getting to our first big round one of Godzilla versus Kong, you know what I'm noticing? There's daylight. There's a sun. It looks like it's all very pretty digitally painted. It's all CGI, but great sunset. There's no rain. There's no glaze film over the picture. It's clear. Like, I'm getting excited because I could see things like, yeah, this is what I want. A clear fight that let's go for it. Let's not try to make it artistic and dramatic. Like, you kind of made a boring film when you went for that. There's a way to make that work, but you guys didn't achieve it last time. So, yeah, give me the WWF fight that I want. And as hollow as Earth is, this plot is, but yet at no point do I ever scream at the screen the way I did during some of the Transformer films. Yeah, it's a funny trick because I believe in better movies or movies where I'm more invested in the characters, I would be really mad about this stuff. But because I haven't gotten that worked up about the series, it's kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. That's fine. All right. We're hollow earth. Sure. You also know that this doesn't have those Bay sensibilities. Like if this was Bay behind here, like in this opening fight between the two Titans, like they would have literally like whipped out their balls or their dick to see who has the bigger one. Like you don't get that kind of humor that just doesn't work when you're trying to do a kid's properties like Transformers. Yes, I agree. They have removed the lewdness that always disrupts what are just essentially family films, cartoon films. This would have been made, you know, well, they were. I mean, the Toho movies always had little children that yes. were somehow swept up in the plot. So you don't want to lose that preteen audience. Like, they are the people that are really should love this the most. And I guess that's why they've given so much time to Gia. Like, we will find out on this boat ride that this little deaf orphan actually, yeah, she has, because she's deaf, she. I don't know, she's signing in her own language or she's signing in English and the primatologist taught her. The primatologist taught her sign language. The primatologist tried to teach Kong sign language, but thought it didn't work because Kong didn't want her to know. But Kong actually did learn. And it was the little girl right. who taught her. And this is why I called it Congo, because if you guys have seen the movie Congo with the sign language ape. All of a sudden, that's all I'm thinking when I see King Kong signing. Yeah, I called it Coco after the, the real gorilla that did this, but Congo, it, the name fits. So, yeah, so we got Gia, and Gia is not a character for me, but I do believe that there are going to be a lot of kids that are going to think that this is the best part of the movie, because she touches his finger, and they have this, it's like having an imaginary best friend or something like that. It's E.T. It's more like Mac and me than E.T., but I do feel <laughs> like there's a cheesy connection they have that's that's kind of sweet and stupid at the same time. If Godzilla and Kong did a dance at McDonald's, then you can make that comparison. <laughs> I will not allow it. I thought there'd be more here because the adults use Gia to manipulate Kong and, like, tell her to lie. Again, I thought there was going to be a whole moment where Andrews find out that Lynn was up to no good because he was hired by Simmons. And, yeah, like, Gia was going to feel betrayed when they get her to send Kong down the tunnel. But, like, no, that it either never happened or got cut. Not here. Yeah, gutted is what I, I guess. I bet there is probably 40 minutes of this movie that is just gone. Do not release the <laughs> Wingard cut. Yes, I agreed. Like, there's no need to see... These things play out in deeper, harder to follow mythology. I don't want it. I don't need it. And it's just not the kind of property that should play to anyone older than five years old. Gia is your audience. Keep it about her and this big ape. And keep it about Godzilla fighting Kong. That is the title of this movie. And finally, an hour in, maybe 45 minutes in, 
we're getting our first, you know, they're going to have essentially two and a half fights. One that Godzilla is going to win, one that Kong is going to win, and one that they squash their beef and take out Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. This is going to be the one to show that Godzilla is tough. He's going to win this sea bat. Yeah, I, that's what I expected. We'll discuss who wins the other fights when we get there. But here, Godzilla is a water creature. Kong is on a boat. There, I feel so bad for Kong. He's like strapped to that boat and it gets flipped upside down. He's drowning. And so are the humans as well. I mean, everything is riding. But who cares about that? Yeah, I know. But well, we're, we're supposed to think. <laughs> you don't want Gia to die. She's young. They're team King Kong. Again, it's what I said before. It's almost like everyone has a psychic link to the giant titan of their choice. And these are the people through sign language that connect with this animal. And so they're kind of playing him like a video game character or a game show. What he goes through, they go through. And this is where we really see Lind come on board, that Alexander Skarsgård is willing to trust Kong enough to unshackle him and let him do his thing and see who's going to win. Yeah, and you talk about a video game, guys. King Kong's going to grab an airplane and just throw it at Godzilla and then, like, have to jump off a boat as it explodes in that classic, like, you know, 80s jumping out of the way of an explosion pose. You know what I loved, though, is when he picks up that airplane and chucks it. G.I. Joe cartoon-like, yes. we get a close-up of the pilot ejecting so we know Kong didn't kill that guy. And Godzilla does not eat him like they did with the pilot in the other film. But Kong is stepping on other planes, and Godzilla is setting aircraft carriers on fire. Thousands of troops are dying here. Thousands! And who cares? This is about monsters punching. Don't think about the casualties. I think if your your cargo is a titan, like it... The hazard is kind of already there. It's built into the job. <laughs> it, it means more to me when we get to Hong Kong and they're stepping on everyone. Right now, I'm just like, oh, yeah, they're just boats in the water. Who cares about that? But yes, there is a obscuring of the mass casualties. This movie is PG-13, but it has carnage that few films would approach. I mean, like millions die. Because maybe these are giant monsters and not an all-powerful alien like Superman, I'm not minding the mass casualties going on. Because you know what? King Kong and Godzilla are going to climb up on an aircraft carrier and like start boxing. Like that, <laughs> this is what I want. Agreed. It's a pretty good fight, but I can see what they're doing. Godzilla is like in the water mostly, and they're using his spikes like the fin and jaws. And they're they're making him the bad guy. They're depersonalizing him. He will not be anything other than the giant shark. You know, like he even drags a freighter down like that scene with the shark in the barrels, you know, like they're really making blatant references to Jaws here and telling us that King Kong is Roy Scheider. Yeah, they put a lot of personality, I think, in the expressions of both of these monsters. But yeah, the facial expressions Godzilla is making are a bit more threatening. And like Kong feels like almost a hippie in this. Again, scratching his butt, bathing <laughs> in a waterfall. He's got this long beard at this point. Like, I think your sympathies are supposed to be more with him, with just the way they're animating their faces and their expressions. I would have preferred to have a reason why these two were fighting in which we could root for whichever one we liked. I guess that's all that I'm going to say. Yeah, but they're taking this straight out of the last movie, that Godzilla has to throw down with anybody. He must be king of the monsters, and so... He just psychically senses any time a new monster comes up that might be close to his power. And Kong was not there to kneel down to him in that last film. So, yes, yeah, they draw out that these are both alphas specifically, and that's why they have to fight. You can only have one. Right. That's why they, Kong was caged for so long, 
was that they were really, once they knew Godzilla was back in the picture, they had to protect, either they're protecting humanity or Kong or both. It sounded like they were protecting Kong, because, you know, what we hear from Rebecca Hall is Kong bows to no one, and Godzilla will kill him if he doesn't bow to him, so this is set up, but yeah, it does make, Godzilla is just a aggressor, Kong is the defender, there's no misunderstanding, like Batman v Superman, where Lex Luthor set the two against each other. We don't know that both their mothers aren't named Martha. It could have Mothra. been. Never- Mothra. Mothra. That's the joke, Stuart. <laughs> oh, I killed it. <laughs> you have to save Mothra. Someone doesn't go on social media. I've only seen that a thousand <laughs> no, times. Oh, so you're right. I, I didn't know that that was the thing. Okay. Well, good on them. Whoever created that. Golf clap. Again, I, I know this is what we do is now play, and you're talking about Batman v Superman. Those are about humans, like, and I want emotions and, and motives and all that. These are animals. And, okay, they're two alphas. They're going to fight. I, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I have enough reason for this battle. It's WWF, and if you like it, yeah. you like it. And if you don't, you don't. But that's what this is, is you've got your, I'll show my age, you've got your uh, Sheik, who's Russian and a bad guy. Iron Sheik is not Russian, he's Iranian. Oh, okay, but he was still a bad guy. He teamed up with the Russian. Who was the Russian? Nikolai Volkov. But Hulk Hogan was the leader of the American team and the good guys, and that's what we've got going on here. And I have to say, I feel pretty bad when Kong is getting drowned by Godzilla. Godzilla gets him in this hold with his tail and is just pulling him underwater. Kong can't even get a good punch in because there's just no land and Godzilla's in his element. Yeah, there, there is a, I'll use this word softly, but a brutality to this film when they fight. Like, I, I feel like every once in a while, they really caught me off guard with how hard a punch was or how they slammed someone through something. Like, again, this isn't gory, violent, R-rated Godzilla versus Kong, but I really like the animation. I don't know if they used motion capture again. This looks a little more cartoony, the way these animals are animated, but who knows? I didn't read on how they did these special effects. But I, I really like how they interact when they fight here. I, I think it looks great. But yeah, I'm having fun, you know, and when Kong pulls a right hook on Godzilla while they're standing on that aircraft carrier, it's in their trailer. But man, it it's just kind of fun to see. And he does that a couple of times. I felt like the, the other thing they were able to do with the way they animated this and the fights is they gave these creatures some real weight and size to me like when you see kong go into the water and he comes out and he kind of shakes and you just see all, i don't know whatever particle software they're using to simulate all those water droplets coming off of them i can just imagine the downpour if you're standing below him that would come down like i thought they really sold it on weight size all of that yeah he just like wretches when he pulls himself up onto the freighter and you can just again they've done little character details that have really personalized kong it's always kong never godzilla i feel like Godzilla is not meant to have a personality. Maybe you're just supposed to think of him as a badass. But Kong is the lovable human underdog, and we want him to make it. And it's pretty clear after this first fight, he is not king material. He has to play dead, and Godzilla slinks away thinking that he's won. Godzilla can sense a titan from anywhere on Earth, but you turn off a boat and he thinks that the titan is dead? Because they turn off the aircraft carrier and play dead, and by no engine rumble, Godzilla thinks he won. Yeah, I mean, it allows the humans to do things. And by do things, I mean hit switches. (laughs) They're freeing shackles and hitting buttons. But again, what else can you expect? That is what a family 
playing a Titan would do. It's a video game and it's a family fun video game. We have this little Gia and now we have the father figure of Lind and we have Eileen all working together as some kind of nuclear family to make sure that Kong survives to fight another day. And they have to, I mean, he's, he's so bad that they have to like do a callback to that original King Kong versus Godzilla. Remember when he's, Carried around by on balloons, hanging yeah, you know, on the helicopters. Yeah, they, yeah, they got them on, on like hot air balloons or something like that. Now he, uh, here it's helicopters because bal- yeah, here it's help, but it's on that net. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the net that's holding them. That's the callback. I wanted to know how they got them on a boat. You know that they don't see that. This at is- one point they show a screen that shows like they're measuring how many sedatives are in them. So I, I guess they just doped them up really hard. Okay, you can dope them up, but how do you carry them? I can't see a payloader that can lift that thing. <laughs> It's Monarch. But they wanted to do that image that we all know from the original King Kong. They haven't done that in the MonsterVerse of him being in chains the way that he was taken to America on that boat. Like, this is evoking uh, earlier hits. And so, yeah, Gia is going to basically just point to the hole and say, go. And I don't know, has she lied to him? She tells him it's home. I think it is. I I feel like she's as truthful as she can be like she says maybe they're down there your family like she doesn't lie and say your family's down there she's like maybe because i feel like that's what they sell her on is yeah like maybe we don't know yeah scarscard just wants her to lie and say your family's down there but then eileen changes it to we think your family's down there and then gia changes it further to your family could be down there (laughs) (laughs) basically go to your room like get down there go like go into the stargate they made this big deal about Kong's genetic memory. Like there's, he's like the salmon going to spawn up river where they're born. Like, even though they don't remember that, but he's like swinging through these tunnels and then he just slips and falls. I'm like, I, I don't know how genetic memory that is. Like you, you just <laughs> fell and found it by mistake, I guess. You know, yeah. during the scene, all I could think of was the line from real genius where Val Kilmer says, would you be prepared if gravity suddenly reversed itself? <laughs> Yeah, I do not buy. I'll just put it that way. I do not buy that they need Kong to do what they're going to do. And I don't necessarily even see that they do anything. Like, they're going to get energy to supply for a giant robot Godzilla. But I'm not sure how anything that we see really facilitates that, which leads me to believe this is all rewriting, done with new bits of dialogue, changing the intent of whatever was originally happening in this plot. They have in here one character that... I didn't even bother putting in the plot summary. Eliza Gonzalez from Baby Driver is here as Maya Simmons playing, you know, the CEO, Walter Simmons. She's the daughter of the CEO of Apex, and she is going on this, too. And what I thought for sure was going to happen is she was going to escape middle of the earth, middle earth with a canister of the power, and that would fire up Mechagodzilla. But no, she gets going to get killed down there. Yeah, she is Team Mechagodzilla. Again, want to just point out the dynamics are the same. A mother, a, a father, and a child. Like, they keep that going on here. There's the scientist that's going to power the Ghidra head. There's the CEO that's the mastermind and going to profit from this. And then his child is, I don't know, going to fill King Kong with bullets as soon as he shows him to the throne room. And we have this scene where, like, I, you know, he has some kind of 
axe that's like an iPhone that he has to plug in to get blue juice. No, I, you know, I love all this Hollow Earth stuff. It feels like a different movie kind of at this point because, again, there's been a lot of like techno babble and we got to go here and do this and that. And now it's just kind of Kong wandering around Hollow Earth and he's going to fight some flying snakes and yeah, find a axe made with a Godzilla fin. Like it feels like we're just supposed to bathe in the wonder of this strange place. And it actually reminded me of how, you know, Peter Jackson's King Kong, where we spent so much time on that island just seeing giant monsters fight. So it wasn't a surprise to me after I read this that, again, Wingard was tagged by Jackson to do a sequel to his film. And like, I did feel like this had just here's a world building vibe for maybe a world we're never getting anything more of because maybe this franchise is over. But I do like just the weirdness, like Kong is going to see floating rocks and like touch them and then like float and turn upside down and yeah, find his throne and just sit on it. And lest we go too long without monsters punching each other, there's just random mudos down there, and and a flying winged thing is going to eat the ship with Alexander Skarsgård on it, and Kong knows that's the ship with Gia, so he beats that winged thing and rips its head off, drinks its blood, and eats its viscera. <laughs> yeah, it, like, sucks its brains out or something. It's great. I half like it. Like, I don't feel like it's done particularly well or with enough detail to feel lovingly interesting. But, like, at least the action is diverting. I would say that while not mind-blowing mysteries being solved here, but, yeah, they've established a world that would be fun to set an entire movie in if they wanted to. And I feel like a lot of people say, why can't you just make a Godzilla or Kong movie with just the monsters? Why do you need these people always in them? And and I feel like if that's what you want, just something about monsters and and giant animals, like, this is the segment for you because you'll just see those heaves, like, kind of flying around. Yeah, they'll help fight that flying snake. They'll shoot some missiles, but I really feel like this is about Kong and just him exploring his home. Not enough time devoted to it to be a great scene, but... No, I agree. It's good. An an interesting idea that begs some questions about, like, when he sits on that throne, he fires up a serpent pattern on the ground, and that's the energy that's going up. Yeah, do they just email the energy back to Hong Kong? I I don't understand what they did here. (laughs) I didn't understand it. According to Wikipedia, they sent the energy signal back to Apex, and Apex was able to use the energy signal to power Mechagodzilla. Believe it or not, we're closing in dangerously close to a finale here. Like, it's just intercut with all of this stuff. It should just be said that Team Godzilla has wound up in some kind of arena where they're testing out Mechagodzilla. By going down to the 33rd floor in Florida, they find out that this is where they have been testing out the psychic link. Yeah, sort of a Pacific Rim idea of where the head scientist is going to get in the Ghidra head and for a couple minutes, without that hollow earth energy, he can take out a skull crawler. And I'm going to just cry foul in one case, because they're going to retcon here that Monster Zero, Ghadira, was psychic, and that's how the three heads communicated. No, one of the best parts of Godzilla King of the Monsters is when one Ghadira head, like, takes a bite at the other one, because the other one isn't behaving. Well, that's, you don't hear the, you don't hear the shit they're talking to each other, because it's all in the mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I want to know how they got Skullcrawler eggs if they don't know how to get to Hollow Earth yet. I thought that they had gotten it from Hollow Earth and they've been there. That was, that was No, that's why they needed Kong to go there because they couldn't find the route. But then what was Bernie like so blown away with that they were transporting things from Hong Kong? Like I, uh, Well, and they were transporting it on a boat. If they'd transported it through Hollow Earth, there wouldn't be a shipping manifest. 
I thought they were doing it by the way that these guys get to Hong Kong. I thought it was one of these, I don't know, the Tron ships, you know, the heaves. It's sort of a shipping container that also flies and can handle the reverse gravity. I don't think it's just that they're going through a tunnel in the earth. The reason why they're so confident that heaves are going to work when they get to hollow earth is that they've already been doing it. But there's no point in getting Kong to go there if they've been there. But they can't find the middle where the energy is. They can't find the nougat center of the planet. I feel like I have split so many hairs. I've split every hair on that ape. And I will probably never care one way or another about the whys and hows. I I gotta say, I'm realizing when I watch this that this doesn't make sense but I'm having a good time and it's not painful enough to anger me. And I'm having Mm -hmm. just enough fun with the visuals, which are very good. Kong looks very well anthropomorphized. Guys, Kong has an ax made of a Godzilla fin. 80% of the movie, it's a win just for that for me. No kidding. I mean, seriously, to see Kong pick up an ax and sit on a throne, I'm like, you're literalizing the king of Kong. Okay. It's dumb if you think about it, That's not what this movie is for any more than WWE and thinking about, you know, what is the various beefs these characters supposedly have. Yeah, I I think any movie with versus it, except maybe Kramer versus Kramer, like (laughs) expect a good fight, expect WWF. If it's a good WWF story, then it's a success. Okay, I'm going to tamp down the enthusiasm just a little bit and say these movies have been very pretentious in trying to do more than that. They have been very self-serious. They have tried very hard to take these silly concepts and make them very, very serious. The two Godzilla films, not Skull Island. I I don't feel like that was over-serious at all. I'm talking about my Godzilla, yes. that They have tried very, very hard to make him a scary, Lovecraftian figure. And how has that worked? What I see now is that they're throwing all of that away and just saying, all right, I don't care, get this done. Do you feel like they're disrespecting Godzilla? Is is that what you're saying? I know they disrespected Godzilla, <laughs> but I'm saying I think they've disrespected the entire MonsterVerse by saying, oh, well, this didn't work. Throw it out there. Like, it feels kind of junked. It feels like this movie, while still kind of fun, is being thrown out half-formed. Yeah, they did it to Justice League, and now they're doing it with this. That's what, I guess, Warner Brothers does. Yes, this feels like something that, Arnie, you talk about that, why didn't they give up? I'm sure there were heated arguments in the screening room. Just throw this away. This is not working. No, we can fix this with minimal money. Like, I feel like I'm watching that on screen. I feel like I'm watching people argue about whether they should give this series its final episode. I will say what I what I don't understand <laughs> where they are just trying to shortcut it. Let's get to the fight is Godzilla shows up in Hong Kong because they're firing up Mechagodzilla again. And they email that energy up to the surface, I guess. And then Godzilla just blows a hole all the way down to Hollow Earth that Kong can climb up. Like, it feels like it was very abbreviated. Like, let's get these two together as quickly as possible again. What's the cheapest effect we can do to get them looking at each other from two different worlds? Here's how I took this is they fired up Mechagodzilla for a moment. Remember, they didn't have enough power to do it very long. That moment brought Godzilla to Hong Kong. but then. Mechagodzilla's power down, and Godzilla's like, well, I'm going to fight somebody, and Kong's in the middle of the Earth, so I'm going to create a tunnel with my atomic breath to the middle of the Earth and attack Kong. And, you know, it is efficient. 
Yeah, again, why do 400 effect shots when we can just do two? Like, that's what I'm seeing here. And we're just getting at it. We need to show that Kong can win. We saw that Godzilla could win. Now we get the rematch in which Kong comes to Hong Kong. I say that ten times fast. Kong and Hong Kong. Kong and Hong Kong. Uh, why did they have to do that? Couldn't it be Tokyo? <laughs> or Dubai? Couldn't they do Dubai? Dubai has big buildings. Does Hong Kong, is it really like this neon? Because it looks great. I want to visit if it is. Yeah, that was my thinking, too. Is like It probably isn't nearly as colorful. I, I mean, someone saw Pacific Rim, though, because this reminded me of that the best fight in Pacific Rim, too. And it should be said, that was a, a subject of debate after Godzilla 2014. Should we make that the mashup? Should we somehow combine Del Toro's vision with the Godzilla universe? I mean, this kind of feels like that because they do a human psychic link to Mechagodzilla to make it work. Like, they do something very similar to get those giant robots to work in Pacific Rim. Even now, the fan fiction is being <laughs> written to say, in-universe, this is how they come up with those mechs. But you know something? I am going to go see this on the big screen because there are some moments in this movie that I just feel that even my home theater couldn't do the most with. Oh, I knew my television wasn't up for this film. Like, yeah, this needs to be on the big screen. When they get into Middle Earth the first time, the whole movie goes silent for a moment and then the sound rushes back when they come in. Kind of reminded me of Django Fett's... Uh, Sonic Blast and Attack of the Clones, it had the same thing where the movie goes dead silent and then a big explosion. And I'm like, in an IMAX film, that would blow you back in your seat. It did for Attack of the Clones. And then when the heave comes out of this hole, heave hole, when the heave comes out of this hole and flies almost in Godzilla's mouth and then like buzzes over King Kong's head, I'm like, this would be awesome in IMAX 3D. I don't even know if they made this in 3D. But that looked like a universal ride. Yeah, I had that same note, like those 4D rides where you sit there and they're 3D and the seat moves, like convert this film to that format. I will pay for that. They could do that at Universal, right? You get it a heave yeah. and they fly you around King Kong and Godzilla. They, they have a Simpsons ride that's very much like that, where you have a you get in a car that's like a time machine. The Back to the Future ride was awesome. Yeah. Well, now it's a Simpsons ride. It got replaced. Oh. But here from round two, you say King Kong wins, Stuart. King Kong seems to get the upper hand for a little bit, but I think Godzilla is the clear victor in this fight. Well, they do something where they cut away and have the humans go, oh, Kong won, and then when we cut back, suddenly the lizard is on top of the ape's chest and, like, growling at him. So, I don't know. That felt like weird editing of, like, scenes that were intended from uh, other parts of the movie. Yeah, I definitely felt like Kong won, but then they had to make it so he didn't win because Godzilla's got to fight Mechagodzilla first. Yes, yes. They wanted to show that both monsters could take the other in the right circumstances, and then they wanted the underdog to be underfoot and bring in Mechagodzilla. I think they did, but you know what? I do think they changed this, maybe during editing, but in all the old versus movies, you never really had a clear victor. It's kind of like in the Avengers when Thor, Iron Man, and Cap fought, and they just fought each other to a standstill. There was no winner. And that's kind of a cheap way out. But if you got Freddy versus Jason, there was a clear winner in that. Freddy was a decapitated head in Jason's hand. And when you got to Batman versus Superman, Batman was the clear winner there. If it hadn't been for the last-minute Martha call... 
then Superman would be dead. I think somebody somewhere said, we need to have a definitive winner. And it is clear in both fights, Kong nearly is killed by Godzilla. He's almost drowned one time. Then Kong's down with Godzilla's foot on his chest. And Godzilla's going to breathe atomic breath and kill Kong. So I think there's making it very clear. If you are a Godzilla guy, he is the strongest one. Kong is not king. And yet, when Mecha Godzilla shows up, normal Godzilla's gonna get his butt kicked. Like, he is not, maybe he just had a fight with a giant ape, so he's tired, but man, I, I'm surprised how beat up he gets in that fight. Oh, and I'm surprised that Alexander Skarsgård knows exactly how much voltage to defibrillate <laughs> a giant ape. I do think it's maybe a callback to that 70s Godzilla where it ended with the thump, 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 because Gia could hear or feel King Kong's heartbeat slowing down yeah no this is totally a king kong lives callback the artificial heart like no they're they're definitely doing that as a joke so the power supply from the heave is just the right amount to defibrillate king kong and you know after a heart attack and being resuscitated the thing you want to immediately do is hop back into the ring for a fight. Oh, come on. When when Cog is going to like just bump that shoulder up against a building to put it back into place because it's popped out. I'm like, this, this is great. Again, <laughs> there there is a brutality to these fights. Like he was getting scratched up by those giant Godzilla claws. Now he's popping his shoulder back in. I, I don't know. I haven't watched wrestling for decades, but I'm enjoying this battle. And Gia sets his mind right. She's the one that when he does get revived, she's like, Godzilla's not your enemy. Mecha Godzilla is your enemy. This is, you know, we all saw this coming, right? We knew that this was going to be, unlike what you're trying to say, Arnie, where there's a clear victory, that we should feel like, oh, yes, this is definitely obvious who the king of the monsters is. They will not answer this question. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Stuart, that in this film, there is not a decisive winner. But I did read that Wingard said, oh, there's going to be a decisive winner in this film. Now, maybe there was. In one of those early 2017 drafts, or maybe it's like what you were saying, Arnie, is like, here's the nod that Godzilla, yes, wink, wink, he's really stronger, but we need both of these guys around for the final fight. It's again, Batman v Superman. Batman won that fight, but then they team up to fight Doomsday. Godzilla won this fight, but then they team up to fight Mechagodzilla. I do not see Batman v Superman as definitive either, so there you go. That's just... Superman is down! Kryptonite in his face, and Batman is going to kill him! I'm glad that you do, but I will just make clear what they do in all of these films, Freddy vs. Jason as well, is they side with the one that is less powerful. Obviously, Batman is a human that is going to be less powerful than an alien. Obviously, Jason is a serial killer with a machete that is not as powerful as a dream demon. So yeah, our our hearts should go to the underdog, the one that is least likely to win and see them get a victory blow here. Then King Kong should win because I several times thought Godzilla was cheating with that fire breath that was knocking down all these buildings. I'm like, that's not fair. Kong doesn't have fire breath to fire back. And how many people are dying? I love the scene of like the rooftop restaurant where people have been watching this fight while they have their food and then all of a sudden they start running for the elevator when the building gets knocked down i noticed that yeah that cracked me up earlier on like they they set off like evacuation alarms but yeah people are still dining they're just casually eating in that scene and we're skipping over and just saying mecha godzilla mecha godzilla what do you guys think of this like i don't know if you know the 70s one they seem to have done like a funny 
tweak. Like it was a, a really silly looking robot that it had elements that just, you know, even for man in rubber suit kind <laughs> of special effects, it was not one of Godzilla's better looking foes. Here, I don't know. It's clearly bigger. I don't think any of the CGI is like super realistic. It's still somewhat stylized, but it feels like it fits in. Except for Mechagodzilla. I feel like this feels a little bit more cartoony, a little more Power Rangers, maybe because it's a giant robot Godzilla. But again, the the animation, the way it moves, it feels like it's supposed to still be kind of campy, like those suits they wore in the old films. I agree. But yet all I could again think of was Transformers. And I'm like, this is a big robot. I know what parts I'm looking at, you know? I don't wonder, is that the arm or the ass? Yeah, the spinning tail is actually a nod to his hand would do that in the 70s. When they tried to tweak it in a way that, like, I feel like they want it to seem like one of those fun 70s ones, because that's the vibe they're going for here. But they, you know, clearly need to design it so that it looks cool and menacing and what have you. I just don't get Ghidorah out of it. Like... When you tell me that Monster Zero is really inhabiting this, there's nothing really to tell us that other than we cut back to the scientist in the head. Who's been kicked out at this point? Like, he's been disconnected from the head because... Fried. Ghidra's taken over. Yeah, I believe he's been killed. Is he dead dead? Okay. I mean, again, this editing is pretty bad. So, like, things get jumped around and not answered. But I take it to what Arnie says, is that when we see the the electrical lightning going through him, like, he... He will not be opening his eyes again. And neither will the CEO. He got pulled and crushed as well. Yeah, you, you talk about Monster Zero. I thought because he's got three heads, I'm like maybe those other two heads are going to show up like in some kind of form. I thought maybe, yeah, Mechagodzilla was going to get a help from his other two heads, maybe. There needed to be a way to, if they weren't heads, for us to understand it was that creature. They needed to personalize it in a way. We needed to understand that King Ghidorah was the most fearsome foe that Godzilla ever fought and had those moves here in Mecha Godzilla. Like, I got it, but everything in this is understated because we just need to get to the fights. Like, n- no characters, no arcs. Like, we got to get to the fight. So I did get that vibe. Like, I'm like, oh, Monster Zero is super scary because he's, like, still alive, even though he's dead and he's controlling this big robot. But yeah, I don't know how many people are processing all that, why they're just watching monsters punch each other. Yeah, and I don't think it matters. I think what they wanted was Mecha Godzilla and... You know, how are you going to say there's a real Mecha Godzilla out there tormenting people? Okay, let's put a different spirit of a different Mudo in there. Okay, Monster Zero died last time. We left some hook about the head. There you go. That's all you need. And I like the thrusters in the back and the way he uses it for super punches. Although if I never, ever again in a movie, this was the movie that broke me. If I ever again sees two beings fire lasers at each other, meet in the middle, cancel each other out, and then one overpowers the other. You've been doing it since Superman 2 in 1980. Cut it the fuck out. Artie, they've been doing it since those original Godzilla films. Don't watch those then, because whenever he's teaming up against another monster, like, there's usually beams coming out of their mouth, firing at each other, and meet in the middle. Ah! But of course, it's the humans that are really... The winners here, because it was the humans that revived King Kong. He would have been dead without them. And it was humans that built Mechagodzilla. And it is humans that decide, hey, if we just pour whiskey on the controls, we can rig this for Godzilla. Like, he won't... Well, yeah, they're they're trying to break this link, the satellite link between Monster Zero and Mechagodzilla. And Josh is, I guess he has some kind of hacker knowledge, or at least he knows how to BitTorrent. I think is the joke. 
but he can't guess that password. HTML camp. And so, yeah, let's pour this whiskey where he gave this big, sad story of as long as there's whiskey in this bottle, I'm still fighting for my wife. Now we're just going to pour it out and, and knock out the satellite. I guess that works. I don't know why you just can't have, again, have Godzilla shoot that fin with blue radiation and then have Kong do what he does at the end here. Just chop up Mechagodzilla, Monty Python style. It robs the Titans of their victory that Fire Fist wins with a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> again, I know why they're doing it. Family film, we want the humans to be the victors. It's not about what the Titans do. But that does seem to undercut this battle. The taking Mecha Godzilla out this way is frustrating. But Kong and Godzilla do give a live and let live stare. They're like, all right, you're tough. And, you know, I think Kong shows, you know, he doesn't bow, but he shows some kind of, if not deference, at least a higher mindedness. That he throws down his axe and is just not going to... He squashes the beef first. And so Godzilla can walk away thinking he's still king in his mind. And that's always how they ended anyway. If you remember, that's how the 60s Japanese movie ended with uh, Godzilla going out to sea, you know, and, and Kong too. But this time Kong's going to live in Hollow Earth. Even though his family's not there. It made me kind of sad, you know? I kind of hoped Kong might find Mrs. Kong and settle down and have baby Kong. I, I thought that would be like a post credit scene, but there is no post or mid credit scene here. I do want to point out, when Millie Bobby Brown was thumbing through all the podcasts, there was one that said there are pregnancy rumors for Mothra. And Zizi Zhang is one of those little twin girls that was supposed to be Mothra's human protector. She filmed something that my guess is that Stinger exists, that we would see some indication that Mothra was coming back, maybe in Hollow Earth, and that uh, there would be more. But I think by not including it, they've really sent the signal that this is the end. But did they go out on top? Jacob, Stewart, do you recommend Godzilla versus Kong? Jacob. Yeah, as I was watching this, and like I said, we got to that final battle in Hong Kong with the neon, and I'm just loving this fight, and I'm like, man, I wish this movie came out later in the year, or whenever theaters are, are open and I'm vaccinated and feel comfortable going to them, because, you know what, Zack Snyder, this deserves to be 4-3. These are the titans, these are the giants that I want to see tall, not letterboxed and cropped down. These are the ones, not your Justice League. I want to see these guys on the biggest screen with the loudest sound system. Like, I had a blast during this film. It's a big, dumb cartoon, much like I felt like Skull Island was. Like, there's nothing deep there. There's no subtext. It's giant monsters punching each other. And and can you make that entertaining? Yeah. I don't know if you can make it deep. You could try your Nolan-esque type takes. We saw that with two Godzilla films. Not the greatest takes. There, but I'm sure there's a serious way you could go. I've talked about Shin Godzilla. There's one way you could go would make it serious. But no, I want to see a really fun WWF match. I want to see Macho Man versus Hulk Hogan. And I felt like I got that. Like, again, there's a lot of silly plot stuff. It doesn't matter. This is a weird sci-fi world with giant titans. And you know what? It doesn't have that crude sense of humor. I think I talked about this with Skull Island. Like, it, it seems like it'd be easy to make just a popcorn blockbuster, but like Michael Bay has shown us that it's not as easy as you might think. But yeah, get rid of the dumb juvenile humor. There, there's no slow panning up a woman's body as it glistens, you know, with water and the sunlight. Like, it's just a big dumb monster fight. And it's fun. Like, if that sounds fun to you, then yes, watch this movie. I'm going to recommend it. Green Arrow. 
It, it is not uh, Shakespeare. It's not Kubrick. It is Godzilla versus Kong. It is exactly what it should be. And, and so, yes, go see it for that. Stuart. Okay, I, I'm not going to be a wet blanket, but I'm going to bring down the enthusiasm a bit. Oh, you've been doing that the whole show, Stuart. <laughs> this movie didn't have to do much to earn a green arrow for me, and it's going to get one. I'm going to give it a green arrow because I'm an easy lay for this stuff. But I do feel like you're setting the bar awfully low by being like, it's WWF. That isn't what this series told us at all. And it doesn't have to be. Like, Godzilla and King Kong are not kitty show characters. They have proven in the past that they can tell movie stories that are interesting, have adult subtext, racial politics, nuclear fears. They could have done something like their ambitions showed in those Godzilla movies. And yet at the end of the day, all we got was a cranky lizard who didn't have anything to say. And as a Godzilla fan, that has been my ongoing disappointment with the MonsterVerse, is that it has all the pretension and heft of a serious movie, and then nothing to back it up, and too serious to be fun. So they have been a very frustrating pull between, well, I kind of enjoy the battles, and eh, I'd rather be watching the Japanese films. And I know that makes me sound like the kid who opened his Christmas gift and preferred to play with the box. Okay, boomer. Rather than the expensive toy inside. But yeah, give me the cheapo Japanese movie any day over this and those battles. Way more fun. I will only remember this as some hazy disaster porn B movie. And I just don't think that I would ever want to watch this again. I could turn on an old Godzilla and enjoy it. And this one, the compliment that I can give it is that I like this King Kong. What really helps this MonsterVerse is that they have fixed the ape. He was not my guy, and in this universe, he is definitely my guy. And he has a fairly fun go-around with a reptile they're going to call Godzilla, but never evokes the man in rubber suit that I loved as a kid. They got nothing right about Godzilla, as far as my mind, in trying to turn this into a fun movie. They said they were making Endgame. They gave us something closer to Dark Phoenix, it's really scaled down and messy and, and not at all to their ambitions they play to. But, yeah, I'm going to give it a pass. I'm going to kind of treat it like the monsters treat each other. I'm going to walk away going, eh, all right, I'll let you live. <laughs> but I'm kicking this out of my life forever. I would never watch this again. We mentioned Taiga Watiti and Thor Ragnarok and all of that with this movie. You know who I felt like in this movie is Hulk at the end of Ragnarok, where he goes, but... Big monster! That's the mindset I was in. I'm like, monsters punch each other. And I could realize that this movie was silly, and depending on which humans were on the screen, my level of aggravation would rise or lower. The Scooby gang were just so dumb, they didn't detect anything. They walked into a wrecked building that apparently had no security, got in an elevator, got in a tram car, and then ended up in Hong Kong with a villain that's going to explain his evil plan. They, they frustrate me. But, you know, they're not much worse than the hacker from Transformers 1 who thought he was being arrested for bit-torrenting songs. So, they're an improvement in that way. The Alexander Skarsgård, as you called them, Team King Kong, Stuart, whatever, they were functional. But when you get those monsters on screen, and they did such a great job of making Kong seem human. He can sign now, he can use tools. It's the most communicative, expressive Kong we've ever had. So, as a Kong guy, I'm firmly on his side, and it's just dumb fun. 
I can give this a real solid recommend. And yes, I will be going and seeing this in IMAX if the theaters are still playing it and I can find a showing that isn't almost sold out. I don't think it'll be that hard. I think they'll be begging you by next weekend after everyone watches it on TV. So I'm surprised. It sounds like you guys think that this is the best one of the four. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily, this is if I'm going to rewatch any of these, it's this one. Me too. Wow. Although I did rewatch Skull Island before this, and it was good, but this is better. I mean, Skull Island for me. Yeah, Skull Island's good, but yeah, this is the Godzilla vs. Kong that I want. Uh, Skull Island is the only one you really need to see. It's the only one that evoked the things that I loved about Kaiju from childhood. Like, that is a fun movie. This movie is a movie trying to do fun things with partial success. I would say Kong Skull Island is it, and ranking the other ones, they're all... A similar shrug. Godzilla vs. Kong, Godzilla 2014, King of Monsters are pretty much all the same thing to me. I think the Godzilla films just got better each time, but Skull Island beats both individual Godzilla films. So Godzilla vs. Kong is best, Skull Island second, King of Monsters is third, and Godzilla 2014 is bottom. And if you're wondering why I recommended 2014 and not King of Monsters, it's because my opinion of 2014 changed. If I could go back in time, I wouldn't recommend it either. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you with this being the best one, and then Skull Island, and yeah, those Godzilla ones, they did Godzilla wrong in this Monsterverse. Like, yes, they did. 2014, I give more of a break, just because they're reintroducing the monster in the films. King of the Monsters was just disappointing, because again, they brought all the monsters back, and it was just as boring and ugly as that first one. Uh, King of Monsters might be my second favorite, honestly. I don't know. It's hard to parse out. I know I'll never watch those Godzilla solo ones. Yeah, I kind of feel like I'll never watch any of these again other than Skull Island. And that's why I say that's the solid recommend that you should... Do you guys want it to continue? I don't think it will. It feels done, and I'm happy to let it go. But would you want to see Mothra pop out and face... I don't know. What else is left in the canon for either one of them to fight? Well, they could have baby Godzuki, and they could bring out... Oh, there, there's a lot of Godzilla monsters, What still. are some of the others? There's the smog monster. Oh, I know, but I'm saying who would, like, be more epic than what they've already done? Like, that feels like a step down to be like, oh, yeah, we'll get uh, Zilla back. I mean, no. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's a formula that Hollywood has not been able to crack. Like, how can the Americans do a really good Godzilla film that... That has that appeal. Like, yeah, that you want monsters. But again, because of that history, because of that campy history that it comes from, you know, besides that first original one, I don't know. That's baggage that it's got to address. And, and like, are they going to go super serious or are they going to kind of carry on that tradition, but with big expensive CGI, which feels uh, kind of weird as well? You act like it's a damning statement, Stuart, that you say you'll never watch this again. Listen, I had a good time with this. I will watch it again in theaters because I want to have that big screen experience. But I'm never going to remember these movies. I'm never going to watch any of them again. There's a lot of movies I'll recommend as being fun for the time that I'm never going to rewatch. And this is one of them. Nothing has happened to make me connected to this monster verse. So, yeah, it's better than... Matthew Broderick's films, all of these are, so try again. Maybe third time's the charm to actually make it work, or maybe we don't need to just keep rebooting everything from our childhoods. Yeah, honestly, as someone that likes the old movies, like, just, we can let this go. You've done your best to try and give this adult concerns, and I really do want to see Shin Godzilla now, Jacob, now oh, that you so described good. that. Yeah, that, that sounds like maybe that's the movie that I've been wanting 
all of this time. But it was just, this whole thing came off as pretentious. They really tried to tell us they were doing something epic here, and then they really made a real, like the world's most expensive <laughs> yo-yo or hobby horse. You know what I mean? It's just like a big toy. The Godzilla films, though, did stair-step into stupidity, right? The first one tried to be such a drama with the disaster film view of the people. The second one kind of rode the line between monster bash and a little bit of human drama. And then this third one, I mean, could you imagine if we made this exact movie again, but put it from the point of view of a human being like we did with Aaron Taylor Johnson in the first one? Could you imagine the person in Hong Kong watching the bodies fall around them as feet almost step on them? I mean, Jesus. It just, each one became more silly. And I think that's what made it more fun because their attempts at deep metaphors never worked. The Lovecraftian, like, serious horror is not the way to play it. And so, again, it's just easy for me to let probably all of these movies go, but I will remember Skull Island fondly because I like the Vietnam stuff. I like the actors in it. Like, that was the one that got the people right the most. John Goodman, Samuel Jackson. Yeah. John C. Riley. John C. Riley has fun characters. I agree. The other movies don't have them. Yeah, I having rewatched it, that's the one with the best people. But and still, the best monster they did was this Kong. Yeah, I like Kong. That's again, I give them all the praise in the world because they made me root for Kong over Godzilla. I didn't think that was possible, but I definitely like Kong, and I wanted him to win. He's king of the monsterverse, if not king of my heart. If this movie did feel a little bit like the game Rampage, it felt a lot better than the movie Rampage. <laughs> oh, easily. Though this did not have a flying wolf, that would have helped. Well, funny you should mention Rampage in old video games, because that's what we're doing next week. We needed to fill a hole. Things have been moving around as the scheduler of now playing. I've kind of torn out a few clumps of hair, <laughs> but I think we have a solution, and it is Adam Sandler, believe it or not. I don't believe it. <laughs> you know things are bleak when you're turning to Sandler. <laughs> you know what? I'm kind of a newbie to most of his things. Like, I know the things that he's not known for. Like, Uncut Gems, sure. Punch Drunk Love, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know his comedy. Pixels? fits right in between those perfectly, Stuart. I'm sure you won't have a problem. Yeah, I think Pixels will be exactly like those films. But <laughs> whatever it is, it's a video game movie. We're getting ready for the arcade and Monster Hunter and the upcoming Mortal Kombat by playing Pixels. And then this Friday, if you are a now-playing donor of $10 or more, be it on the patron or direct donation, it's time for the third Dirty Harry film, The Enforcer. I don't know anything about this one. I didn't even know the title. I can't even remember the title. But it's Dirty Harry in the 70s again. And I guess he's got a female partner. That'll be interesting. He, he shoots Godzilla. With that magnum, <laughs> I think you could take down both of them. <laughs> no, Dirty Harry is a character you want in the Godzilla movie. I agree. That would have been fun. Not the movie we're going to get. But yeah, could be really interesting. Dirty Harry is always edgy. He's always... Bumping up against progressive types. He's uh, fought dirty hippies, dirty cops. Now women's lib is coming into the police department. Yeah, could be a fun combo. So you can go to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate for details on how to hear all the Dirty Harry reviews. Plus, we already did White House Down and the 
Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, Angel Has Fallen trilogy, and if you donate even more, you're going to get to hear us do bonus reviews every Friday deep into the summer as we do some David Fincher films. So all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And remember, it is your support that keeps us going. We have no sponsors. We have no ads. The only ad we do is to tell you that you guys keep us going. I mean, again, we have been podcasting now for so many years so many totally free Tuesdays without missing a week. It's all because of you guys and your support. And so if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. And Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. And until next time, long live the king. This island is just the beginning. There's more out there. What do you mean, more? This world never belonged to us. It belonged to them. The question is how long before they take it back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. You're enjoying this, right? Is this fun for you? Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. You are going to come back to me. Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. Word will get out. It always does. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Come on, you're scaring me. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I still will be here tomorrow. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Look, this is what I do. This is my job. Associate produced by Jason Latham. There can't be two Alpha Titans. Now Playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. Guys like you and me, we don't do normal hours, do we? Now Playing credits read by Brock. You want to hear him, Griffin? Now Playing is not affiliated with the makers of this film. The movie and its characters are the property and trademark of its producing companies, and no infringement is intended. What are, what are, you, what are you talking about? What does that mean? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You're lying. Because what's really happening is that you're hiding something out there. I'm right, aren't I? Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Go home to your family. Keep them safe. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes.
but I have been thinking the whole time, could be better. You sound like that guy from Wonder Woman 1984. Legendary Monster vs. Crude, but it could be better. Theaters just opened in LA, I think to 10% capacity. The one that I always go to, they're not showing up on Fandango yet. I'm worried. I don't know if they're opening back up, but I got to drive by there and check them out. But no, I, I was grateful I could stay home and watch this. Stewart's favorite theater turned into a marijuana dispensary. I, I, that, there's a good chance that's what happened here. I, I really am worried because it's so close and convenient. Probably a good business plan, frankly, guys. Go get out while you can. <laughs> Frost v. Nixon, or, or not v. Nixon. <laughs> it's not like they beat each other. Frost Nixon. Yes, the robot. We finally found out who Daft Punk really is, and it's Junkie XL. Junkie XL really is Daft Punk? No. No, he's making a joke, because it sounds so similar. There's always been speculation of who they really are. Right, and they've broken up, so I thought maybe... I, I, I thought maybe he actually was. You thought I was blowing the lid off something here? Yeah, well, for me, I, I, I. No. Okay. They're French guys. Arnie doesn't keep yeah. up on all the Daft Punk news. Yeah. But I don't think. What's the name of the company? Acer? Not Acer. Apex. 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 I don't think Apex. Acer. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, there's a conspiracy. <laughs> Who does buy those shitty, shitty laptops? Someone bought an Acer in the past. It's like Texas Instruments died and that's like the ghost. Or something. Just a shit. Radio Shack? Is that like, did they crap out something before they made their last gasp and it was called Acer? Oh, it still God. was better than Packard Bell, but I think, is Gateway still around? No, Gateway is not around. Can't get your cow computer anymore. <laughs> So, 